Well, hey there, and welcome back to the podcast. Today is a great day. It's Mother's Day. It's Baptism Sunday. We're sharing some great news from the Bridging the Gap Initiative, and we're continuing our series in Genesis. Chris has a fantastic message for you today, so we're just going to get right into it. Here's Chris. Well, good morning, everyone. Happy Mother's Day. So, um, <clears throat> want to introduce you to some friends of mine. This is Tim Damesworth and his wife, Crystal. And this is Josh. Um, best. I knew that. Um, it just blanked out. All right. So, these guys are the regional directors for this region of the country for Hope Centers. And uh, if you're joining us for the first time or you weren't here back in March when we did our Bridging the Gap initiative, um, we raised, we set out to raise enough money to sponsor a women's center in our community, as you just saw in the video, which you guys quickly brought in uh, the money necessarily necessary to do that. And so today, we want to celebrate that we are fully in pursuing a women's center. They just need to find a facility, and we'll be up and running. Uh, and so today... want to present to these guys this, this fake check that won't cash for $260,000 to uh, seed the next center. So, thank you very much, guys. How fun is that? I just love this church. I love all the fun stuff we get to do and the difference we get to make together, and we couldn't do it if we didn't all come together. So way to go, guys. Way to go. We, uh, you know, Mother's Day, uh, we decided we were just going to celebrate. This is one of the celebrations. We're going to do some baptisms here later in the service. That's part of the celebration. And, uh, and of course, celebrating mothers. You know, a lot of churches will pause whatever they're doing if they're in a series or whatever and do a special Mother's Day sermon on how to be a great mother. But I thought rather than mansplaining to you how to be a good mother, um, that, that what I've learned over the years is if you just open the Scripture and invite God to speak, no matter where you are, there's a message for whoever you are, including a mother. And so um, I'm going to allow you to pull the, mother, the Mother's Day application. Maybe I'll help a little bit. But um, we've, you know, invited God to come and speak, and I believe that He will from His Word. So we're just going to continue in our series in Genesis. We're in a um, multi-year, I'm just kidding, it's not multi-year series, but it's, uh, I think this is week 40, and we'll wrap up around week 47, 48. Um, but uh, today, if you're just joining us for Mother's Day because your family brought you, don't worry, there's something here just for you, and I'll catch you up. Um, Genesis is an interesting book. The first uh, three quarters of it are kind of an overview of the history of the world and where God's people, the Israelites, fit into that. Um, and then we get to this character named Joseph, and that's the last 25% of the book, and it, it slows down and focuses on about a 30-year uh, period of time uh, of, of Joseph's life. And Joseph may be one of my, maybe my favorite character in the Old Testament for sure. I love Joseph. He, he 
faces what all of us face, maybe a little more severe than a lot of us have faced, but he faces adversity, which is part of life, right? But he does it really, really well. And he allows God to use him and prepare him in the midst of it. And I love that about Joseph. Um, Joseph is the son of Jacob. Jacob also known as Israel. God calls him Israel, so Jacob and Israel are the same guy. Jacob is the son of Isaac, and Isaac is the son of Abraham. Have you heard of Abraham? Say yes. All right, we have heard of Abraham. All right, so Joseph is Abraham's great-grandson. You know where we are in, in history. He's got 12 brothers. They become the 12 tribes of Israel, or the patriarchs of the 12 tribes of Israel. Joseph is the 11th brother. He is born to uh, Rachel, who is Jacob's favorite wife. We covered in previous messages why it's not good to have a favorite wife or more than one wife. So you can go back and listen to that. I'm not going to cover that today. But um, Joseph is uh, her firstborn, and then he's got a little brother by the same mother uh, named Benny or Benjamin, all right? And then we've got these uh, 10 other brothers. And so Joseph is a little arrogant as a young man. In his teens, he's kind of full of himself. He's his dad's favorite. His dad buys him a multicolored coat, and they wrote a musical about that, I think a technicolored coat, something along those lines. But it kind of goes to his head, and he starts bragging to his brothers. His brothers know that he's his father's favorite, and they grow to hate him for it. And eventually, they decide they're going to kill him. They plot to kill him, and Reuben steps, or not Reuben, uh, Judah steps up, and the, one of the brothers, and says, let's not kill him, let's sell him into slavery, make some money on this deal. And so that's what happens, and he's carried off to, to Egypt, where he is a slave for a couple years. He's falsely accused, he ends up in prison, and for about 12 years, he is either a slave or he is in prison. And a pretty hopeless situation, but he doesn't lose hope. He's one of these guys who trusts in God and just decides to bloom where he's planted. And, and though it's a despairing situation, especially when he is in, in prison, it looks like he's never going to get out, um, he doesn't lose hope because he's got this faith in God. And, uh, and he, he walks with God and... and um, Eventually, the Pharaoh finds out that he's got this gift of interpreting dreams, and the Pharaoh had this really disturbing dream, so he has him come before, before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh is like, tell me what this dream means. Nobody else can, and he interprets the dream. We're going to have seven years of plenty and bumper crops and then seven years of famine, um, and oh, by the way, Mr. Pharaoh, if I were you, here's what I would do. I would store up food during the seven years of plenty, and then when we get into the famine, you've got food to feed your people. You don't lose your kingdom. Everybody survives. You grow rich. It's a good deal. And the Pharaoh goes, is there anybody so wise as this man? He was a foreigner. He's from another country. But he's the, he spots the wisdom that Joseph has and puts him in charge of the whole enterprise. And Joseph becomes the second most powerful person in the whole country. All right, so um, the famine hits about two years in. His brothers and father are 250 miles away, which is a long way in their day. And um, his father believes he's dead. He's been killed by a wild animal. 
And uh, he father finally turns about two years into the famine, turns to the brothers and says, get your butts down to Egypt and get some food. I've heard there's food down there. They don't want to go because they don't want to run into Joseph. They don't even want to think about what they've done to Joseph. They've been living a lie for 22 years. But they have to go. And so they do, and they come before Joseph, who's distributing the food. He recognizes them. They don't recognize him. He's like, you guys are spies. They're like, we're not spies. We've got a father and a little brother back home. We're just one family. He's like, no, you're spies. And they're like, we're not spies. And so it goes back and forth. And eventually he goes, I tell you what, I'm going to put one of you in prison, and you can get your brother out of prison when you come back with your little brother, his same brother from the same mother. And, and so um, they go back, and dad is so protective of Benjamin because when Joseph, he thought Joseph was dead, all that affection and favoritism went from Joseph to Benjamin. And he was like, I'm just going to let Simeon rot in jail. And, and, and they wait until they're almost out of food when they're all going to die, starve to death. And he goes, well, there's no use in keeping Benjamin if we all die anyway. Go ahead and take Benny down. And so they go down to Egypt they come before Joseph again, and that's where we're going to pick up in Genesis chapter 43 and verse 15. We've got a lot of ground to cover today, um, so buckle up. Are you ready? All right, here we go. So the men, that being the brothers, took the gifts and, and double the amount of silver and Benjamin also. They hurried down to Egypt and presented themselves to Joseph. Again, they don't know it's Joseph. He walks like an Egyptian. He talks like an Egyptian. He looks like an Egyptian. Bengal's music playing is awesome. So when Joseph saw Benjamin with him, he said to the steward of his house, take these men to my house, slaughter an animal, and prepare a meal. They are to eat with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him and took, him, took them to Joseph's house. Now, they didn't hear this part about going and having a meal, so they're a little concerned. They're concerned that they're in trouble and that something bad is going to happen. In verse 18, it says, now the men were frightened when they were taken to his house. They thought we're, we were brought here because of the silver that was put back in our sacks the first time. They thought they left Kroger's without paying for something, basically. He wants to attack us and overpower us and seize us as slaves and take our donkeys. Nothing worse than somebody taking your donkey. Anyway, so they think they're in trouble. They think they've, they've got a, a problem on their hands. So they go up to the steward. So when they, they went up to Joseph Stewart and spoke to him at the entrance to the house. We beg your pardon, our Lord, they said. We came down here the first time to buy food, but at the place where we stopped for the night, we opened our sacks and each of us found his silver, the exact weight in the mouth of his sack. So we have brought it back with us. We've also brought additional silver with us to buy food. We don't know who put the silver in our sacks. They thought they, they left without paying or somebody had made a mistake and they were in trouble for that. This is why they think they're in trouble. Well, it's all right, the steward said. Don't be afraid. Your God, the God of your father, has given you treasure in your sacks. I received your silver. Then he brought Simeon out to them. So in other words, he said, look, I got your silver. I put it back in your sacks. It's all good. It was a gift. You're not in trouble. So things are starting to cool a little bit. They're starting to feel a little more comfortable. The steward took the men into Joseph's house, gave them water to wash their feet, and provided fodder for their donkeys. 
Uh, they prepared their gifts for Joseph's arrival at noon because they had heard at this point that they were to eat there. So hospitality is being offered. Their donkeys are being taken care of. They're getting water to wash their feet. These are all good signs. They're starting to feel a little bit more at ease that they're not in trouble. When Joseph came home, they presented to him the gifts they had brought into the house, and they bowed down before him to the ground. He asked them how they were, and they said, and, and then he said, how is your aged father you told me about? Is he still living? So he's asking about his dad. They replied, your servant, our father, is still alive and well. And they bowed down, prostrating themselves before him. Now Joseph, when he was 17, 22 years or so before this, had a, had a couple dreams about his brothers bowing down before him. This has happened several times now. It's not lost on Joseph. As he looked about and saw his brother Benjamin, his own mother's son, he asked, is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went into his private room and wept there. The amount of emotion wrapped up in this moment is, is beyond uh, comprehension. I mean, 22 years of being separated from his family, the suffering that he's gone through, his brother from the same mother, his, his whole family's there. And he, I mean, it's just, I mean, you ever been in one of those situations where you just can't even process the emotions? There's so much going on inside. That's what's going on here. And Joseph goes and finds a private room and just weeps. Well, after he had washed his face, he came out and controlling himself said, serve the food. All right. At this point, their fear's gone. And he's offered them hospitality. They've been reassured about the silver situation. He is now serving them a meal. And in their culture, when you serve a meal to somebody in your house, they are under your protection. He is clearly not meaning them harm at this point, and they know that, and they're able to relax and kind of celebrate and feast with this, this Egyptian. They served, they served him, meaning Joseph, by himself, the brothers by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves. In other words, you got Joseph over here, the brothers here, the Egyptians back here. They're all eating in separate places because Egyptians could not eat with Hebrews. Remember, Joseph is a Hebrew. They know that. They won't eat with him. Now, he has great favor with the Pharaoh because of what he has brought to the Pharaoh, and the Pharaoh loves him, but they won't eat with him. And so they're eating in separate places. They could not eat with the Hebrews, for that is detestable to Egyptians. They're also shepherds, and shepherds were considered the lowest of the low. So they're not eating with them. They're all in, in different places. Now, a couple points right here that are kind of important. One, moving forward, this separation is really important in the bigger picture of the story. Remember, Moses writes this book of Genesis to explain to the Hebrew people who they are, their, their background, their origin story. And so a lot of that, we share that origin story, and some of it is very specific to their family. But he wants them to know who they are, because when they come out of slavery 400 years later in Egypt, they need to know 
who they are, whose they are, and who God is. And so he explains all, explains all that as he's telling the story of their, their history. And this point of separation is really, really important. And the reason it's important is because this family has shown over and over again in the land of Canaan where they're coming from, they're living with the Canaanites. And the Canaanites are pagan people. They're kind of detestable. They, they sacrifice their babies to idols. They, they, they are violent people. They are a sinful people. They are a godless people. And so what, the, what has happened over and over again is these, these um, sons of Jacob have shown that they're more influenced by Canaanite culture than influencers on Canaanite culture. They're very easily assimilated into what is going on around them. Well, when they come down to Egypt, and spoiler alert, uh, Joseph will bring them all down to Egypt to survive the famine, saves the family, right? But they're put in a completely separate place. They're not incorporated into Egyptian culture because they're detestable to, to the Egyptians. They're treated well on Joseph's behalf by the Pharaoh. They're given their own place. But very easily, if they would have been incorporated into Egyptian culture, they would have become Egyptians, and we wouldn't be telling this story. But they were warned. They weren't. They were put in a separate place where they could become the nation of Israel, where they could identify or develop their own identity without the influence of the Canaanites, without the influence of the Egyptians. So that isolation is super important to the story, big picture-wise. Well, in verse 33, it says, The men had been seated before him in the order of their ages, from the firstborn to the youngest, and they looked at each other in astonishment. Now, why would they look at each other in astonishment? The reason is, since none of you are going to answer, is because, is because it, would have been almost, it would have been impossible to do this. Statisticians tell us there's a 1 in 40 million chance that, they would have been, that somebody would have been able to take these boys and put them in order. Now, it would have been easy if they were like from ages 2 to 20, right? And they all had one mother because there would have been at least a year between them and they would have been in different stages of development. But these guys are 30, 40, 50 years old. There's four different mothers involved, and so some of them were born months apart. There'd be no way to tell who was who unless you knew. They're astonished because Joseph gets them in the exact order, and they don't know that he knows, but he does. When the portions were served to them from Joseph's table, Benjamin's portion was five times as much as anyone else's. So they feasted and they drank freely with him. In other words, they relaxed and enjoyed their time with this Egyptian official for whatever reason, he's showing them favor. And they're having one of those Seinfeld moments when they look around and go, is this really happening? Like, how did he do that? All right. Benjamin gets five times the food as everybody else. Now, Mediterranean culture, being uh, Sicilian myself, I can speak to this. Food is very important. You always want to have plenty of food. If you, know, you typically buy as much food as you think you need times two, right? And then you might have enough food for the meal, whatever that meal is. 
But but if you give somebody a lot of food, it's 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 a sign of blessing. And so we've got um, five times the amount of food. In their culture, the oldest child would get a double portion uh, of the inheritance, um, and that was part of the blessing that was given to the oldest male child. And so uh, five times is off the charts. What was the issue with Joseph and his brothers? He was given favor over his brothers. And he wants to see what's going to happen when Benjamin is given favor over his brothers. Have they changed or will they do the same thing to him that they've done, that they, that they did to, to Joseph 22 years before? Joseph's sitting over here by himself. The boys are sitting here. They don't know he understands what he's, what they're saying because he's been speaking through an interpreter the whole time and he's listening in. Has it changed? Have they changed? Will they treat Benny like they treated him? And what he finds out is that in 20 years, God has done something in his brothers. They don't despise their brother. They don't, they don't bicker among one another. Why did he get a double? None of that happens. They just kick back and celebrate and feast together. They are different. Well, Joseph is watching. They pass that test. He's got another test for them. And in, in, in chapter 44, Joseph gives these instructions to the steward of his house. Fill the men's sack with as much food as they can carry and put each man's silver in the mouth of his sack. Then put my cup, the silver one, in the mouth of the youngest one's sack. So in Benny's sack, along with the silver for his grain. So he's giving them their money back that they paid for the grain, like he did the last time, and they're gonna, he's going to put his silver cup into Benjamin's sack. And the steward did as Joseph said. As morning dawned, the men were sent on their way with their donkeys. They had not gone far from the city when Joseph said to his steward, go after those men at once, and when you catch up with them, say to them, why have you repaid good with evil? Isn't this the cup my master drinks from and also uses for divination? This is a wicked thing you have done. When he caught up with them, he repeated these words to them, but they said to him, why does my Lord say such things? Far be it from your servants to do anything like that. We even brought back to you from the land of Canaan the silver we found inside the mouth of our sacks. So why would we still steal silver or gold from your master's house? If any of your servants is found to have it, he will die and the rest of us will become my Lord's slaves. So they protest. They're like, this is not who we are. You know, we're the guys that when you when we leave Kroger's and we figure out that the cashier didn't charge us for the, the, the can of beans, we take it back in and we pay for it. Like, this is not who we are. It's not our character. It's, it, they are confident. They're so confident, they're like, you don't, you don't need to take them as a slave. You can kill the person who stole it, and the rest of us will be your slaves. They're that confident. Very well, then, he said. Let it be as you say, whoever is found to have it will become my slave. The rest of you will be free from blame. Well, each of them quickly lowered his sack to the ground. They quickly lowered their sack. They're just eager to prove that they didn't do it. 
and they opened it. Then the steward proceeded to search, beginning with the oldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. At this, they tore their clothes, then they all loaded their donkeys and returned to the city. Now, if they wanted to get rid of Benjamin because Benjamin was their father's favorite, which he clearly was, I mean, we covered that in previous weeks, clearly his father's favorite, if they had not changed and they felt the same way about Benjamin that they felt about Joseph, they would have been like, ah, oh, sucks to be you, Benny, we're out of here, and they would have gone home. But they didn't. They tore their clothes, which is a sign of extreme grief and remorse and like, oh, can't even believe this. So they tear their clothes and they head back to face the music. Well, Joseph was still in the house when Judah and his brothers came in and they threw themselves on the ground before him again, bowing before Joseph. And Joseph said to them, what is this you've done? Don't you know that a man like me can find things out by divination? Now, I need to speak to that for just a moment. Divination is consulting with spirits to find out information. Uh, we covered in previous weeks that Egypt was all into the, the dark arts. I mean, they were all about magic and, and, uh, and, and spiritism and, and all of that. Um, and, uh, but as a follower of God, Joseph would not have been one to pursue divination. Right? And, and, and Scripture makes, makes it plain that the idea of divination, the practice of divination is detestable to God. And so if God a God follower, he would not have done that. Modern day examples would be like tarot cards, Ouija boards, uh, seances, consulting with spirits to try and find out information. Right? And it is, it is not something as a follower of God that Joseph would have been into or would have done, but he's playing up his Egyptian role, right? He still wants them to believe that he's an Egyptian. Well, what can be, what can we say, my Lord? Judah replied. What can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. We are now my Lord's slaves, we ourselves and the one who was found to have the cup. Now, this is an interesting exchange because they're not guilty of what they're being accused of. They're not guilty of what they're being accused of. Yet Judas says, you've uncovered our guilt. And they are guilty of something much, much worse. They're guilty of, of selling Joseph into slavery 22 years before of lying to their father and just crushing him and then keeping that lie for all those years. Oh, they're guilty. And, and, and Judah is like, we are being found out. And he's owning his guilt. We're getting what we deserve. Judah's coming clean. Now, this is speaking to Joseph. Now, the interesting thing about Judah is that he was a scumbag. He was. He was a bad dude. Like, he was the one who said, hey, let's not kill him. Let's sell him into slavery. Make some money. <laughs> Get rich on this thing. And, 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 he was, and, and, and let's lie to dad and tell him that there, there was a, um, 
a wild animal attacked him and he's dead and, 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 and he's, he's keeping this secret and his, his dad is just spiraling in, into grief and depression. He's like, I can't take it anymore. So he goes off and he, he, he marries a pagan woman and has pagan children, uh, godless children, and, and they, these boys grow up and the first one marries a woman, pagan woman, and it's just all this dysfunction and he ends up dying. But they have something in their culture called levirate marriage, which means if the first son marries a woman but does not provide for her children, then the second son has to marry that woman and provide for her children because that was a big deal in their culture. And so he marries off his second son to this woman. Well, he dies. Now Judah's thinking, there's something about this woman. This might not be safe. And so rather than marry off his third son to her, he, he puts it off and he puts it off and he puts her off and he puts her off and he puts her off. And finally, she's like, oh, he's not going to do this. So she dresses up as a prostitute, seduces him. He sleeps with his daughter-in-law, impregnates her. Happy Mother's Day. This is a great Mother's Day serve. And... uh and then wants to have her killed. I mean, he's a bad dude. Or at least 20 years ago he was. Now, fast forward. Judah is the patriarch of the tribe of Judah, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. The 12 tribes come down from these 12 brothers. The tribe of Judah is where King David comes from, King Solomon comes from. Jesus proudly wears the moniker, the Lion of Judah. The Messiah comes from Judah's clan, Judah's tribe. God loves to turn scumbags into heroes. He does. There's tremendous grace if we will lean into God. What we're witnessing here is the transformation of Judah. Judah is not who he was. Remember, Judah was all about Judah. It was all about, he was a self-centered, selfish human being who whatever benefited him, even if it hurt his father, even if it hurt his family, to something very different now. Which brings me to point number one. Can you believe we're only in point number one? This sermon's going on forever. You guys are going to... All right. Just kidding. But point number one of this message is this. With God in the mix, even hopeless cases can become heroes. With God in the mix, even hopeless cases can become heroes. So, all right, what's the Mother's Day application to this? I'll help you out a little bit on this point. Moms... If you've got a kid who's a hopeless case, don't give up hope. Don't give up hope. And kids, if you've got a mom who's a hopeless case, don't give up hope. Now, you might need to set appropriate boundaries. And that's, that, that's perfectly okay if it's an abusive situation or you, you know, you, you're enabling them, whatever. You may need to set appropriate boundaries, but don't give up hope. God changes lives. You know, you, we've heard it said that people don't change, and that's entirely true. But God changes people. 
God has the power to change people. And with God in the mix, he turns hopeless cases into heroes. So never stop praying. Never stop hoping. Never give up. And invite God into the mix day after day after day. Because people don't change, but God changes people. And it may take 20 years. His timeline is often longer than we want it to be in our microwave culture. But play the long game. Pray the long game. Well, in verse 17, it says, Joseph says, far be it for me to do such a thing. In other words, to enslave all of you. Only the man who was found to have the couple will be my slave. In other words, I'm keeping Benny. I'm keeping my little brother. They don't know it's his little brother yet. The rest of you, go back to your father in peace. Well, as we've covered, dad is emotionally tied up in, in Benjamin. I mean, he's, he's a hover parent with Benny and, and, uh, and will be absolutely destroyed if Benny doesn't come back. For the boys, this is their opportunity to get rid of Benny if they want to, but they don't want to. Then Judah went up to him and said, pardon your servant, my Lord. Let me speak a word to my Lord. Do not be angry with your servant, though you are equal to Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servants, this is on the last trip, you asked, do you have a father or a brother? And they shared, yes, we have a father and a younger brother. And and they gave him the story. And then in verse 27, your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. His wives bore him 12, but he's just focused on these two and this one wife. One of them went away from me, that would be Joseph, and I said, he has surely been torn to pieces and I have not seen him since. If you take this one from me too and harm comes to him, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in misery. So now, if the boy is not with us, when I go back to your servant, my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, understatement of the year, sees that the boy isn't there, he will die. Your servants will bring the gray head of our father down to the grave in sorrow. Your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. Um, Judah's talking about himself. I, I guaranteed his safety to my father. I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. Now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy. So what Judah's saying is, look, let me stand in for Benjamin. I am going to sacrifice my freedom and the rest of my life for this boy. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come on my father. Judah's not a scumbag anymore. Judah has gone from a scumbag to a servant leader. He is a sacrificial brother, willing to do the right thing even if it costs him. It's not all about Judah anymore. He's changed and he's passed the test. Brings me to point number two. God will often test us to see if we've changed. God will often test us to see if we've changed. You know, th people think, if I become a follower of Jesus, then, then everything goes great, you know, and, 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 and life becomes easy and, and all of that. 
That's baloney. God tests us. Now, God blesses us as well, so please don't hear me saying that you become a follower of God and all of a sudden it's just misery after misery. That's not the case at all. There's so many blessings, but he will test us along the way, much like Joseph is testing his brothers. He wants to see if we've changed. He wants to grow and deepen our faith. Oftentimes, testing does that, strengthens us, builds perseverance into us and causes the roots of faith to go deep. Judah here goes from scumbag to servant leader and sacrificing his life for his brother Benjamin and for his father. If you're a follower of God, he'll test you too. Now, I want to give you a little bit, and you might want to pull out the notes because all like the points are in the notes, but I don't think this part's in the notes. Um, just give you a little pro tip on how to pass the test when it comes. First thing you need to do is do the next right thing, no matter what it costs you. Judah here is, knows what the right thing to do is. And he steps in, and he does it, and he sacrifices for his family and for his brother. And it will cost him everything if it works out the way he expects it to. Do the next right thing, no matter what it costs you. Trust God for the results. And he will, he will work things out in the short run or in the long run. Second thing, if you want to pass the test, don't lose hope because it's taking so long. You know, we look at Joseph. Joseph is part of a bigger plan, a bigger story. He's got 22 years in this foreign country, 12 of which he's in uh, slavery or prison. He is in a very hopeless situation. It would have been very easy for him to lose hope because it's Okay, we're in year number 11, but he doesn't lose hope. He doesn't lose hope. And God uses that, as we've covered previous weeks, to prepare Joseph to do what he's doing now, which ultimately is saving his family, which is saving the nation of Israel. And part of that was a long testing. Don't lose hope because it's taking so long. And third thing... Trust in God, don't curse him. Trust in God, don't curse him. Part of why Joseph was able to endure those 12 years is because his trust was in God. He didn't, he didn't go, oh, this is really hard. Well, God, I'm bailing on you. And again, in our microwave culture, our instant gratification culture that we live in, when things aren't going our way, one of the temptations is to bail on God, to curse God, to walk away. Guys, God plays a long game. We are living in a story arc that is more than the next 15 minutes or 15 days. Trust in God. Hold on to Him. He'll bring you through whatever you're in is a season. So do the next right thing, no matter what it costs you. Don't lose hope because it's taking so long and trust in God. That's how Joseph comes through from being a slave to being the most powerful person other than the Pharaoh in the whole country. Well, in chapter 45, we, uh, we find Joseph unable to contain himself any longer. 
His brothers have passed the test. It says, then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Everybody's talking about it. You hear Joseph? Well, Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. The last thing they remember about Joseph was him slung over the back of a camel looking at them going, Are you? And they think they're dead. They can't even, they're terrified. They can't even open their mouths. Next, next week, we'll, we'll unpack the power of forgiveness. And please be here. This is maybe one of the most important messages we'll, we'll cover this year, the power of forgiveness. But then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there, have been, there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing or reaping. In other words, there's no more food coming for the next five years. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Joseph realizes now why he's been in Egypt. It's to save his family. It's to save the nation of Israel. They would have just disappeared at that point. They would have starved to death where they were. But they don't. It's to save the bloodline for the Messiah who is going to come and rescue the world. God was up to something big. So he sends them to go get dad and the families, and they all come down, as I talked about earlier, and they, they live there through the rest of the famine, treated quite well on Joseph's behalf. And what they think is the worst possible scenario. Remember back, they didn't want to go to Egypt in the first place because if they ran into Joseph, oh my gosh. And now Joseph's the most powerful person in the land. Oh my, we're dead. And what they thought would possibly be the worst possible scenario ends up being their salvation. That's how God, God goes. That's what He does. Brings me to the last point. Your failures are never final if you face them and change. Now, these guys, their greatest failure in their life was Joseph and what they did to him. And they were forced to face him. And they had changed in the process. Blessed is the man or woman who chooses to face their failures and face their pasts. Who aren't put in situations that take 20-some years. Choose now and save yourself a couple decades. On your own volition... Your failures are never final if you face them and change. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for new life in you. 
thank you that we don't have to walk around with our guilt and shame for, for eternity, Lord, but you offer us new life if we will face our failures and come to you. And I thank you, Lord, that you have done that and are doing that in each person who's being baptized here today. So Holy Spirit, come, fill this place, fill our hearts, and move in our midst as we worship you and we celebrate the new life that you have made. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us on the Vineyard Church Podcast today. It's our greatest desire for people to find and follow God, and we hope this podcast is one way that helps you do just that. But don't stop here. We would love to see you face-to-face. God's people grow most in community, so don't forget you can join us live at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. If you'd like to connect with us in the meantime, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. You can catch up on previous messages and series, request prayer, and even download additional content. Thanks again for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.